Home is a special place for almost everyone. It's a base camp, a respawn point, a center from which one examines and evaluates the world around them. Whether a home is a city, a neighborhood, a house, an apartment, a room, or a bed, it's an anchor for one's life. Without it, they're left to drift, unmoored, sometimes for better, but often for worse. Which is why so many people are scared of landlords severing them from that anchor, because someone else can claim that space for more money. Of course, there's a word for that phenomenon. Gentrification. From what I can tell, it's a slow process marked by new condos and refurbished lofts and restaurants that serve the same dish as you've always had, but for twice as much. It's this monolithic threat perpetrated by perfectly nice people who just so happen to make way more money than you do. They're happy to see you, but they're displacing everyone you know and hold dear. And you know, you might be next. I'm Ajay Pandey. This is Perfectly Nice Neighbors, an exploration of gentrification in the Boston area. I'll start with the disclaimer, which requires a special term, lived experience. Lived experience. Noun. The first-hand accounts of a person's relationship to forces of oppression. At least, that's my understanding of the term. The main idea is that, in the activist circles I've ended up in, first-hand accounts take priority. You can study all the theory and history you like, but if your knowledge contradicts someone's first-hand testimony, their testimony takes priority, and it's up to you to reconcile with that testimony. This makes sense in practice. I could learn what it's like to be displaced by gentrification, but a target of gentrification will never forget what it's like to be displaced by gentrification, because they had to endure that process themselves. In short, your lived experience, who you are, where you're from, affects your story. So I'll start with mine. My name is Ajay Pandey. I use he, him pronouns. I'm an electrical engineering major and philosophy minor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I would consider myself pretty well off. I live in a house in a nice suburb of Boston, and I will graduate without a mountain of debt on my head. My hometown has changed a good amount, which I'll get to next episode, but I have lived in the same house for about 15 years now and I don't see my family getting forced out anytime soon. I am not a target of gentrification, and I likely never will be. I googled around a bit, and the median starting salary for electrical engineers is about $66,000 a year. And the median salary for electrical engineers in the Boston area is over $100,000 a year. If anything, I'm at a high risk of perpetuating gentrification. This is my lived experience. It should, and will, affect how I approach this series. I won't try to impress upon you the traumas of gentrification. Other people do that much better than I ever could. Instead, I'll ask, what is gentrification really? 
What are the necessary and sufficient conditions? How is it different from simple development? Can a region develop without gentrifying? And how does someone like me keep from perpetuating gentrification? But I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll start by assembling a working definition of gentrification, compiling dictionary definitions and vague intuitions from my friends into a set of conditions we can test, one by one. Let's start with the dictionaries. Google, the process of renovating and improving a house or district so that it conforms to middle-class taste, or the process of making a person or activity more refined or polite. Merriam-Webster Online, the process of renewal and rebuilding accompanying the influx of middle-class or affluent people into deteriorating areas that often displaces poorer residents. Dictionary.com, the buying and renovation of houses and stores in deteriorated urban neighborhoods by upper or middle income families or individuals, raising property values but often displacing low income families and small businesses, or the process of conforming to an upper or middle class lifestyle, or of making a product, activity, etc., appealing to those with more affluent tastes. PBS.org Supplementary material for the documentary, Flag Wars, the arrival of wealthier people in an existing urban district, a related increase in rents and property values, and changes in the district's character and culture. Wikipedia, a process of renovation of deteriorated urban neighborhoods by means of the influx of more affluent residents. The term gentrification was coined by Ruth Glass in 1964 in her book, London, Aspects of Change. Wikipedia provides a choice quote. One by one, many of the working class neighborhoods of London have been invaded by middle classes, upper and lower. Shabby, modest musing cottages, two rooms up and two down, have been taken over when their leases have expired and have become elegant, expensive residences. Once this process of gentrification starts in a district, it goes on rapidly until all or most of the original working-class occupiers are displaced and the whole social character of the district is changed. I'm already seeing commonalities here. Deteriorating urban areas, renovation perhaps distinguishable from development, an influx of muddied people although that could mean anything from lower middle class to genuinely rich. Rising property values, change in character and culture, displacement of the existing lower class population. But that's just me. Let's see what my friends think. I asked seven friends of mine, most of whom have an activist bent, the same question. What comes to mind when you hear the word gentrification? And they all gave quite interesting responses. Here's Jean-Marie Patton. Uh, probably the biggest example I have, at least from my personal life, was when my uncle was driving me around Stamford, Connecticut, showing me all these different projects for for hire recreational services, like boat launches and recording studios and all these things and he was telling me how these all used to be low-income apartment buildings and I'm thinking to myself you're proud of this this is gentrification the act of 
either having low-income apartment buildings and low-income services either demolished or repurposed for the sake of the wealthy to enjoy themselves, to take an apartment building that could, say, house four families and instead put one house that only houses one, or to constantly be increasing the property value of the neighborhood such that the persons there can no longer afford it. I forget if it's the Bronx or Brooklyn is a good example. Um, downtown Stanford is an incredible example. Some people who haven't looked into it a lot, they claim it's cleaning up the neighborhood. But to me, it really just seems like displacement. Amber Nicole Rodriguez. When I hear gentrification, um, I automatically get upset. <laughs> um, I usually first think of like whitewashing. Um, and I say that because I usually think of like this process of either renovating or developing or like improving this community so that so that it kind of fits into this idea of middle class idealism. But in doing that, um, it pushes away home businesses that have been there for a long time, black and brown businesses, apartments, rent goes up, you know, hotels go up. I think of my my community where I grew up in Chelsea, Massachusetts. And when I drove by the other day, you know, there were three new hotels right next to my high school, which were never there before. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's sad to see. So, I mean, I think development in general, when, when you hear the word development, you think of like, oh, this is something that's being done in the name of like, improvement or this is going to help the poor this is going to make everything better but in reality um those those processes end up harming a lot of a lot of different communities and a lot of communities that have been made vulnerable um so although gentrification might be done in the name of good it doesn't always turn out that way and, and which people are benefiting from that process um, is something that I think we need to take into consideration when having these types of conversations. Jasmine? I would have to say probably moving. Moving comes to mind because there's going to be people moving out, people who are moving in, particularly people moving out being the people who maybe were born and raised there. And the people who are moving in are usually going to be wealthier of a certain sort of class, maybe a certain racial group. And they'll come in and make it look a lot prettier than it previously had. Helen Woods. Well, so, like, I know that it's the, like, pushing out of lower class people in, like, certain areas or neighborhoods to make room for, like, more middle or upper class people to live there. And... I'm just, like, thinking about it now, because I went into Boston yesterday, I went to the Stewart Gardner Museum, and I went to the MFA, and I'm just thinking about the neighborhoods that I was walking around there, and I know that, like, Longwood is, like, a really nice area to live in, I'm just trying to think, like, has it always been that way, and, like, who lives there, who used to live there, how has it changed over time? I am also thinking about, I went to a Black Lives Matter rally last July in Boston, and the march ended up, I don't remember where it was, but it was on, like, the outskirts somewhere. And I know that, like, those are the areas where, like, lower-class people live, and that, like, 
areas in like the middle of the city are more like they used to be for like anyone but now they're like i can just think of like longwood are they're trying to like tailor them more to like middle or like upper class people which is pretty inconvenient to like lower class people because that makes their like like i don't know that's where like everything is so like if you're like, trying to get to like the grocery store like commute to work like it makes it harder for those lower class people and so i know that like if you're looking for like affordable housing because like my best friend goes to wheelock and she's like trying to um find an apartment but like you gotta go all the way to like alston or even like malden or medford or like somewhere real far away because like now like the rent is just getting like hiked and hiked up and i know like the same thing happens in like new york city and san francisco and other cities nick blaisdell Okay, so when I think of gentrification, I think of um, bourgeois middle-class people basically overtaking um, poor communities, and they do that through like, economic strangulation. So they'll come into like, a, a, like, a poor area and like, buy property, and, uh, and obviously they'll uh, outbid it. And, like, they'll basically just take over economically, and then obviously over time they um, basically drive the property value up so high that it actually um, basically exiles the original community. Who's living there? Tori Cullen. So when I hear the word um, gentrification, I kind of think of how it's portrayed in different TV shows. So all I can think about is hipsters coming to a certain area that usually um, is more urban, not really a place where like these kind of people would usually hang out and then they kind of decide to take over or they decide it's a kind of a special or a good place so their sort of population moves in and this just snowballs into more people of their community um filling up like an urban area and changing it katie donegan starbucks to be honest um does it it's like it's just kind of one of those symbols of or one of those very physical and kind of like ever-present reminders that um, gentrification exists, and I say that because it's a huge corporation that's kind of stepping in and taking advantage of some of, like, the changes in whether it be demographics, population size, income, averages of the area, or whatnot, and they tend to pop up all over the place, especially when things are becoming more and more expensive to live in. I think we can start pulling out some conditions. These conditions are simple true-false statements, or at least as close as I can get. I want to whittle them down to a set of necessary and sufficient conditions. If your situation meets all these conditions, you would have gentrification. If you don't, it's not gentrification. That's our goal here. Necessary and sufficient. Here are the conditions I wrote down. The area was previously lower class. That could mean anything from extreme poverty to lower middle class. The area was previously populated largely by people of color. The area was previously shabby, unsafe, or otherwise underdeveloped. The area was made out to be shabby, unsafe, or otherwise underdeveloped. The area is urban. The area had an influx of new residents. The area had an influx of new residents that are significantly richer than the previously existing population. 
the area had an influx of new residents that are higher class. That could mean anything from middle class to super rich. Property values rose because of higher demand for the space. Property values rose because property owners realized they could charge more for the same space. Property values rose to the point where the old population could no longer afford to live in the area. There existed rhetoric of development and revitalization. There existed rhetoric of helping the population, but resulting actions primarily helped the newer residents. The area's history was whitewashed by developers and advertisers. The new residents brought along a new culture, which we can characterize later. The area had an influx of lifestyle brands that catered to those new residents. New developments and renovations made the area prettier. Perhaps there's an aesthetic to gentrification. This list of conditions isn't exhaustive, and is quite redundant, but I'm trying to tease out individual threads to discern which parts of the story are the gentrification, which parts are the warning signs, and which parts are just window dressing. We'll start paring down this list next week, when we look at development in my hometown, Franklin, Massachusetts. Thank you to Jean Marie Patton, Amber Nicole Rodriguez, Jasmine P- Helen Woods, Nick Blaisdell, Tori Cullen, and Katie Donegan for giving your time for this podcast. Writing, music, narration, and production by Ajay Pandey. This is an independent study for UMass Amherst under the guidance of Professor Jenny Adams and Professor Sanjay Arwade. For questions, comments, critiques, and concerns, you can contact me at apandey at umass.edu. Thank you for listening.